Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. <laughs> Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. Welcome to another edition of the Final Inspection Show. Yes, it's Daytona 500 weekend. And we'll be talking lots of things about Daytona. In studio with me, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. What's happening, Steve? Great American race time, baby. And uh, they've been racing since Thursday. Uh, We had uh, the duels. Yeah. Which I still want to call the twin 125s. Yeah, me too. But, uh, well, don't, yeah. Don't forget the uh, Bush uh, crash. The Bush crash that was on on Sunday. And I don't know. Okay, it was Bush clash started in 1980, and they ran it on a Sunday afternoon. And they went back to the Bush clash. And, okay, like that. Uh, And then they said, well, let's do it on Sunday. I don't know. I kind of liked it on Saturday night. I did too. Sunday, uh, it's, you know, we got – and you know this was the other thing. I don't, we I don't know if we touched based on in on the, the show last week, but I thought it was interesting that they had qualifying on the network on Fox, but the Bush Clash was on FS1. FS1. Yeah, it was, and you know, for as awful of a race as the Bush Crash was, it did surprisingly well in the numbers department. Mm-hmm. And then I was shocked because, you know, uh, Jeff Gluck always does, you know, was it a good race, yes right. or no? And I think it was 52% no. I couldn't believe that it wasn't in the 80s. Well, I think what you have, uh, it, it, those numbers are skewed because February it's the first race, first time they're seeing race. They're just happy there's racing on TV. Yeah, probably. Same, you know, it's the same thing, 24 hours of Daytona. 24 hours of Daytona is not a... It's a grind. It's an endurance race, but it's kind of cool on a number of platforms because, number one, of the weekend it's on, there's usually it's in between the, the Super Bowl and the championship games. There's not a lot of stuff on TV, and if you're stuck here in the upper Midwest, what are you going to do? I'm sorry, right. I don't cross-country ski. And so, and it's it's nice to, you know, you watch the beginning of it, and you have it on, and then you do stuff around the house. You know, you, you do whatever you're going to do, and you have it on in the background. You I mean, you're not sitting there. I know there's some people that do this, but, you know, you're not sitting there for planted on in your sofa for, for 24 hours. But, you know, you do stuff. You're, you're doing this, doing that, and you check in, see how, see how things are doing. 
you kind of have the volume up, uh, volume up a little bit. So when you're in the bedroom or in your office or you're doing something, you can hear oh, something's going on. You can kind of check out what's going on. Or, right. So that way, it, 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 it's it's it, it's nice because of what where it's at. Same thing with the auctions, the 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 Barrett Jackson Jackson auction that's on. Um, it, it's it it does so well because of where it is in the winter. You know, it's in Phoenix, and all of us losers who are stuck up here in Wisconsin, you know, we get to watch it on TV because okay, it's compelling stuff, and it's it's the big ticket items, you know, this and that. There's other layers involved with car collectors, and I'm not even going to get into that at this point. But um, yeah, so it's. That's I think Daytona has a couple of things going for it. Is, is is number one thing, it's it's February, right? If you go back, we've we've talked about this. Uh, we talked about this with uh, David Hobbs, who was on the first broadcast in 1979. It was the first flag to flag coverage of the Daytona 500, and it, it did very very well. One of the reasons why it did so well because there was a big huge snowstorm in the Northeast. Everybody's watching TV. There's no cable, right? And so it's like, oh, you know, let's let's check it out. What's on TV? Oh, this is interesting. Let's take a look at this. So, yeah, you're probably right. You know, um, for a lot of people, it's still early to to get all in on college basketball yet, and everything like that. So, yeah, I'm sure that definitely had something to do with it. But man, was that awful and painful to watch. You know, it was just. Single file for 90% of the race and then just one caution after another. Uh, the drivers just, you know, they looked foolish. You know, uh, there was a wreck that happened going to take the green flag. They didn't even drop the green flag yet, and these guys are wrecking. It was just horrible. Absolutely horrible. And such a bad look for NASCAR. David Land did a fantastic, uh, yeah, he did. You know, uh, interview on, or you know, like, um, uh, you know, video on how to improve the uh, Bush clash and everything like that. And uh, he said a lot, made a lot of great points. And uh, you know, we have David Land on here all the time. Check out his YouTube channel, uh, David Land L A N D. Uh, always some good stuff there. But, um, but yeah, that was awful. And so then you had the duels, and I was surprised because duel one was was pretty compelling stuff. And it wasn't it wasn't the most entertaining, but the guys raced hard. They raced harder than I thought they would. I thought oh. that they would, you know, settle out in a straight line for a long, 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 long time. And it was actually pretty entertaining. I took notes. Okay. And um, there's not a lot of notes. <laughs> uh, my notes here was, uh, should we be concerned that the individual lines can't get good runs at each other? That's a concern. You know, when you have the three manufacturers just in three groups and these guys – because of the orders handed down by Chevy, Toyota, and Ford. Well, supposedly Chevy rescinded that. Yeah, right. You know, these Toyota, get, you can tell, they're definitely only playing amongst themselves. Well, and Ford is too. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I think these guys are scared to sit there and jump out. And I think, you know, uh, the Toyotas are scared to, go, you know, jump in the line with the Fords and stuff like that because of the repercussions from the team themselves. So it, uh, it you know, it makes it tougher. It makes it tougher because it seems like the manufacturers, you know, they realize the the benefit of staying in, in one group, in one line. And uh, it seems like they put some big-time pressure on these guys to follow. Follow. Well, let's face it, too. These manufacturers are putting a lot of money into this series. Of course. Are they getting a lot of bang for their buck? Mm. Not as much as they used to. So the one race that gets a lot of bang for their buck right now is the Daytona 500. Right. And that's why all these guys are, like, saying, well, if we're going to, you know, support the series and everything – we want to get some headlines. We want to get some, you know, some feedback out of it. We need to win this race, and all of them are, are really focused on that. Um, and the 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 other wrote note I wrote was, and uh, and I'm typing this as I go. Well, Suarez screwed up there. Uh, yeah, yes, he did. But Blaney took the blame, and I've seen it a few times. And I guess my criticism with Suarez, and I understand. He needs to race in, but looking at it, you know, when you're, when you're on the racetrack and when you, you're drivers, the smart drivers don't put themselves into situations and, and Suarez put himself in a situation where he could get taken out. So it's not, it's Suarez, so is Suarez, you know, it's like an insurance claim, you know, who's to blame. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to give Blaney or Suarez more than, you know, seventy percent of the blame in this one. I'll give him. I'll, I'll I'll kind of split it up a little bit, especially with Blaney admitting that he's kind of screwed up there. But with Suarez, there, I was like, mm, maybe you should have just. I know it, it's for, you don't want to do it, but just drag that brake a little bit, cut in behind because you know those guys are going into the pits. If they're not going to go into the pits, and the other thing is maybe the spotter too. The spotter is supposed to be. You know, should be. What what's one of the, the the things the spotter does? We we we've talked to John Close on, on this show about this too. Is is give you're you're giving the drivers information, and one of the things is you know hey these guys are going to be coming into the pits either this lap or the next lap. Let them know what's what's happening, and as far as you know should have should have been you know been aware that those guys might be coming in. If they're not coming in this lap, they're going to be coming in the next lap. I need to put myself in a position where. If somebody needs to make a, make a late turn or whatever, just be aware of everything. Now, granted, I understand with the you know with all the stuff in the cars now, they can hardly see anything except for straight ahead. So, but um, yeah, Suarez it, said that he saw the guy in front of him put his hand out the window. But late, Keselowski did it late though. Okay, so he did it late, but you see his hand out the window lift. Especially when you're tr- when you need to mm-hmm. race your way in, you can't do that with a jacked up race car. And you know if you sit there and you and you wreck your car, you know you're going home and you're screwed. Yeah. So you know, yeah. And I was, I think it was very, um, very nice of Blaney to uh, to accept blame because I put that blame, you know, probably eighty percent on Suarez and. You know, ten okay. percent on his spotter, but uh, and then you know, throw ten percent anywhere else you want. But everybody knew that they were coming in mm-hmm. the pit. Yeah, you know, everybody knew except Daniel Suarez. 
Well, it costed him. It sure did. Now, my next one I wrote is, uh, you know, we we've been very critical of this fellow on this show. Austin Dillon only won with balls enough to make an aggressive move at the end of the race. Nice save. Yeah, because he did. He made a row on that coming down, uh, final lap. You know, he made a nice aggressive move. Not everybody, you know, he didn't have the help, so it didn't really work out. But, you know, hey, he's out there. He's trying to race forward, not just sitting there. Oh, yeah, I'm fine in tenth place. You know, right? Try and pass some cars. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to give that guy credit for anything. But uh... <laughs> well, we'll be talking about him later on the show. So, uh, race number two. Z, 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 because I actually dozed off for a couple laps early in the race. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. Race one, like I said, was entertaining. Race two, not so much. Uh, note number two after the... Uh, Corey, Corey LaJoy has a soft touch, doesn't he? Sarcasm <laughs> at its best. <laughs> yeah, and, you, you know... know I, he, he was on... Uh, was it... Homestead or Dar- no Darlington, I think. And they were, he was still working out. He didn't know where he was going to race. Entertaining kid. Good interview. In fact, I would probably put him in easily in the top fifteen most entertaining interviews of all the some of the stiffs we have in in, in the Cup Series now. Interesting, good kid. Knows his history. Uh, you know, second, third generation driver. Of course, his 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 dad w- w- raced in the Cup Series and the old Bush Series and that. But uh, yeah, he still, he still has a has a ways to go there, doesn't he? Yeah, he still has a little bit to learn, uh, you know, to put it mildly. But uh, you know, like you said, he's an actual personality. He seems like a legit guy. Uh, like there's actually some substance behind him. Where you know, um, there's a ton of drivers, Austin Dillon included, that there's just nothing there. Uh, you know, it, you'd rather nothing. Not at all. No, you know, you would have a more entertaining and insightful conversation talking to your dead relative than speaking to these guys who supposedly have heartbeats. So, you know, I, I like to to cut LaJoy a little slack here. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But he definitely has some uh, some more learning that yeah. uh, that he needs to do if he wants to step up. He said that he is getting a lot of help from Jimmy Johnson, though. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, he's kind of taking him under his wing and uh, and all that and is, is trying to help him a lot along. And very, uh, very few people could you find that would be better to, uh, you know, pick right. their brain and learn than good old seven time. Sure. Uh, next next note I wrote, can't pass. Harvick Sensel in the presser wants to be out front and stay out in front. That was... Uh, I'm I'm to be honest, I'm surprised that you mentioned that on the on the telecast. Right. That they brought that up. But yeah, it's that's that's a scary scary quote from Harvick. Yeah. Yeah, we can't pass out here. I want to be out in front. Okay. Hope they can figure this out before tomorrow. You know, it uh we'll see. You know, like I said, the there's been some good and some bad moments at Daytona so far. You know, you just hope that it all comes together tomorrow for the 500. Well, and well, here's the promising. The promising thing was uh, then my next one, four to go. We had uh, fourth, fourth through eighth. We had the Chevys lined up: the 24, the one, the 48, and the 13. Hey, it worked. 
It did they were work. Actually, they were able to actually to put something together and pass. Yeah, and uh, the Chevys looked a hell of a lot stronger. Uh, I was, I, to be honest, I thought when I saw that, I said, okay, let, well, let's see what happens. But I don't think this is going to work. Even the guys on TV were seeing. Jeff Gordon was like, uh, I think it's a little too early for that. But, wow, it, it worked. William Byron, how about that? Yeah, it did work. And, uh, you know, it looks like the uh, the adjustments that they made to the body of the Chevys has, has obviously it paid dividends already. Uh, just ask William Byron, but, uh, but yeah, they look strong. They did look strong. And, um, you know, I thought they went a little too early too, but, uh, you know, not the first time I've been wrong. Final note. I wrote what happened to the accessory decals on the front fenders. I missed that. Remember that Mm -hmm. all the accessory decals. And for those who don't know what, what that's all about, and if you look at, like, a Dale Earnhardt car from the 80s or 90s or, or any of the older cars on the front fenders, they had accessories. And they were, as a, as a kid who built these plastic models, kits and everything, I, I, I built a lot of them over. Uh, they used to just put them anywhere all over the car. And, uh, and this goes back even back to the 50s and 60s. If you look at old Indy cars and old stock cars, an accessory was a pro, an accessory program. Like at the Milwaukee Mile, uh, if you had accessory decals that say perfect circle and you ran a stock car race at Milwaukee in the old USAC days, if you finished, they would have a program. First place got $200, second place got 150 and so forth. So if you had that accessory decal on the car, you get a bonus. And it was a way to, you know, kind of help things out, you know, and, and um, whether it was uh, – Perfect Circle, uh, Pure Oil, the, some of the older Monroe shocks and all these, you know, they would have it or whoever you were supporting. And that was a way to kind of, you know, put put a little bit of money in your pocket, drive gas money for the drive home. And then as in in, in NASCAR in the, in the 70s into the 80s, they were getting more and more. And, you know, NASCAR is getting more popular. There's more accessory programs. Well, NASCAR then finally said, well, okay, this is getting a little crazy here. So they kind of upped it and kind of said, okay, we're going to up the program, and this is where you need to be at. So first place, if you're on that front fender, it's going to be all kind of uniform and where you were on the car. So they mandated, like, and this is still the still is to this day, the Goodyear, the Goodyear decal is going to go above the tire. And then if you're going backwards towards the A-pillar, the front, the, the, the windshield, then it would be, was used to be like Unical. At that time, which is now Sunoco, uh, and then and then the the official NASCAR uh, inspection stickers or whatever NASCAR at that time Winston Cup Series and, and so forth. And then when you worked your way down, it was like Champion Spark Plugs and whoever it was. But they all had an assigned area. So usually there were maybe two or three shock makers. So and then you whichever one you had on the car, you would have that sticker. So it was kind of a uniform. In fact, when you built these model kits, they were pretty much all the same. All the, the stickers, you just kind of put it as one on the front fender. And then Penske, I think, was the first one with Rusty Wallace in 95, 96. and said, we're not going to partake in the accessory program. We're going to only have five or six because some of the people, some of the corporate guys noticed that and said, that kind of messes up the car and how we paint the car. 
So Penske, I think, was the first one that only had. We're only going to have like six stickers, six decals on that front fender. We're going to clean it up a bit, and then a couple other teams, and now, and then the series kind of went, and and uh, the, the the sponsorship went away, and now there's hardly any accessory decals in some of these cars. It's just kind of a nerd thing I've noticed. I want to talk to Dennis uh, Michelson coming up next here from FrontStretch.com. Uh, we'll talk to him. I want to get his opinion on it too and get his ideas on it. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Dennis. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the the qualifying, what's happening today, kind of preview the race tomorrow. And then this, uh, we'll have the second segment, kind of a fun deal. We got the 10 uh, NBC, uh, the NBC Sports Network had the 10 greatest Daytona 500 moments. And I kind of want to walk through that and get Dennis's and Jeff's idea what they thought about that or did they perhaps maybe missed uh, one of them. So talking a lot more NASCAR uh, coming up here on the Daytona 500 weekend on the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove and David Hobbs on. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski and joining us in just a moment is Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Uh, breaking news uh, from Daytona. We have, uh, of course, if Xfinity uh, qualifying finished earlier today with uh, Maya Schneider winning the poll with um, Michael Annette qualifying second. And, Jeff, uh, we had a little naughty-naughty happening there, didn't we? Yeah, Timmy Hill, uh, his team gets busted. They used a little Bondo to uh, seal uh, an opening in the front end that got caught in inspection. Uh, 75 points lost, $50,000 fine, and uh, crew chief gone six weeks. Six weeks. It looks like he's in the race, though. Oh, yeah, they're still going to let him run. Well, why he cheated well, i don't understand it all right you cheated to get in you you put on this big dog and pony show oh we gotta find him do it no send his ass home makes sense to me but uh this isn't again this is nascar you know uh let's see colin garrett in the 26 tommy joe martin's in the 42 uh ross chastain in the 10 and aj allmendinger in the 16 didn't cheat they're going home yeah I know, I know. What a bunch of crap. Dennis Michelson joining us on well, the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. First of all, before Wait. Dennis joins well, us, uh, 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 breaking news on the fan is powered by Radio.com Sports and brought to you by 5-Hour Energy Shots, now in two great tropical flavors. Yum, yum. And now speaking of tropical flavors, yes. Dennis Michelson. Dennis, Timmy, should Timmy Hill go home? Absolutely. Get all high and mighty about cheating. And back in the day, that was usually called finding a gray area in the rules. Because I guarantee that somewhere in the rule book, it doesn't specify that you can't do 
implies that that's supposed to be an opening. Right. I, I think using Bondo is probably uh, not specifically mentioned as a way to beat this rule. But, uh, you know, they, they got caught, they got busted, and, and they're in there. The, the funny thing is, is I, I once had, a, uh, had somebody give me a copy, uh, like a reproduction of the original rules for the 1959 Daytona 500, and it was like a pamphlet. Yeah. It was, it was four pages long, and it was the size of a small pamphlet, so it wasn't even all that much writing on it. Specified engine size and body length and width and stuff like that, what kind of tires they had to run. But now the, the bulletin, the technical bulletin, NASCAR sends out to their teams, which are what the rules are nowadays at any given level, where like Cup is uh, is longer than War and Peace. You know, it's I, I somehow I, I look at Smokey Unit, you know, I, I see him looking down at us from from crew chief and, and team owner Evan laughing at all of the rules because he realizes that about ninety five percent of the pools that are in the book for the 2020 Daytona 500 are there because of Smokey Unit. Here, Dennis, actually, I'm going to call you right back. We we don't have a great connection with you. I'm going to call you here in a second. Um, that is a great point, though, about, uh, you know, how convoluted and just huge this uh, this rule package has become, Steve. Yeah, and, it, you know, Timmy Hill qualified 26th. And uh, let's see here. And the guys that didn't make it, I mean, they were behind uh, in speed. I'm looking at the speed here. In fact, uh, Mike Harmon, who's in the race, didn't even post a time. Uh, no, I take that back. Uh, Joe Nemechek uh, got in on a post. And they, they've had a miserable weekend because uh, not only Joe and, and, and his son, they both missed the truck race yesterday, and he just got into the this Xfinity race. But, yeah, it's kind of frustrating, especially if, uh, you know, I, you know, with Chastain and Umbeninger, who who they won races last year in the series, you know, Tommy Joe Martins has been around for, for a couple of years. I don't know anything about Colin Jarrett, uh, but Garrett. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Timmy Hill, send his ass home. Yeah, you know, especially when you got a full field and uh, and you got guys that are packing up well, early. Well, here's the other thing. It's an artificially reduced field. I mean, it's 40 cars. I mean, it used to be 43. Right. I mean, I don't But know. even if it was 43, you'd still have somebody going home. Well, it's 43. Then those guys could race, and you send uh, uh, Timmy Hill home. Yeah, but you said that four yeah. guys. Yeah, it's four guys. So. Well, we don't care about Colin Jarrett. You know. <laughs> Garrett, De- Garrett Dennis is G. back. Dennis, uh, let's see if we got a little better connection with you now. You must not have paid the Illinois phone tax. That's what, you know, there's a phone tax for Wisconsin radio stations calling people in Illinois. You must not have paid that tax. No, I doubt we did, but, uh, you know. Well, I, put the coin, I put the coins in the slot so you're covered for this call. Yeah, I'll throw, <laughs> an, I'll throw another 50 next time I hit a toll booth down there. <laughs> I'll be doing that That'll tomorrow. Probably cover it. That'll cover one or two calls. Yeah, yeah, the first minute and a half. And, uh, <laughs> our friend of the show a friend of everybody's show in, in milwaukee for racing josh balicki is in uh he he's uh, gonna be starting uh 20 or 30 seconds yeah good for him and you know 
Uh, you had the truck race last night, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't give a big congratulations to Natalie Decker. Another friend of the show. How about that, Dennis? Natalie Decker. She's got. She's been getting some coaching, and they finally said, you know what? You got to be at the. You got to be around at the end of the race, and you might get better results. And look at be. Look at that. She finished fifth. In the past, at plate tracks at the super speedways, she's been unable to hold her vehicle down along the yellow line. She's kind of washed up in the corners, and she's been ripe for being a victim uh, in these wrecks. She avoided all the wrecks last night, so congratulations to Natalie for, for getting out of the way. She was She's a very talented short track racer. She just has not had a lot of success, like you say, of getting to the end of these longer races as she's moved up the uh, uh, up the food chain of NASCAR racing uh, or and an ARCA. I guess ARCA is part of NASCAR now, so we could all just uh, yeah, that's the true. whole label as, as NASCAR. But um, she's got a good ride over there in ARCA again. Um, so I think we're going to get a chance to see, you know, how she continues to develop. Um, but yeah, congratulations. That was fifth. That was, that was pretty impressive. Um, boy, it was a crazy end to that truck race, but Grant Enfinger put on a show. He was, he was sitting there about 15th place with, with about, you know, eight laps to go. And then next thing you know, you see him and he's on the outside going for the lead. And right as soon as he got out of the mess in the middle of the pack, there is when the carnage happened. So very lucky that he got the win, but he only got the win because he was making real aggressive moves three wide. You know, I really like that Friday night truck race at Daytona. You can come home from work, maybe get some buffalo wings on the way home, enjoy the race, and then I turn it on, and I'm like... Rain delay. Well, that too. <laughs> not only that, what's worse than a uh, rain delay? Michael Waltrip. I'm like, oh, no. And then, oh, we got somebody else, Joey Logano. I'm like, oh, God, what did I do to deserve this? I tell you what, kudos, though, at the end of the race to Joey Logano explaining how basically Enfinger was able to hold off uh, the three truck and, and how, he, you know, pushing up on him a little bit, slowed his momentum. Excellent analysis. And then Michael Waltrip was just doing Michael Waltrip stuff. But, uh, I, you know, I will. I'm very critical. I'm not a fan of Joey Logano, but. He did really good analysis, especially on that last, explaining what happened on that last lap. Yeah, that was an excellent analysis by Logano. I have always been a big fan of Michael Waltrip for many, many years, but I have grown tired of the act. It's a shtick, yes. Because last year I I said I saw him on a couple podcasts. Very, very interesting. And and if you saw him on uh, Junior's podcast, very interesting, very compelling, great stories. I'm like, just leave the shtick. Just just be Michael Waltrip. Just, you know. He can't. I know. It's so frustrating. Yeah, he's kind of jumped the shark, as uh, as us old guys used to say. Well, let, let's take a quick break. We'll have more Dennis Michelson coming up here on the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway.
Back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you check out GreatLakesDragway.com and Great Lakes Dragway on the Facebook page. Uh and get your 2020 season passes. One of the best deals in racing. Good entertainment. Lots of fun at Great Lakes Dragway. Joining us once again on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Dennis Michelson from Frontstretch.com. And uh what's the latest in Dennis Michaels? You're doing so much. You're doing local radio. You're doing play-by-play stuff. You're doing stuff for Front Stretch. What's going on? Oh, boy. Boy, the big announcement. We've teamed up at D-Mike Media with Speed Sports to uh, produce the Race Monitor uh, Wide World of Motorsports, which will be a podcast this year that uh, my friends over at Speed Sport, Ralph Shaheen, Joe Tripp, Excellent. Uh, will, be, will be supporting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be associated with the brand that dates all the way back to Chris Economaki in the National Speed Sport News. And of course, my big claim to fame was my one opportunity to talk to the great Chris Economaki. And I told him how reading his magazine as a kid, that's why I was involved in racing today as a NASCAR reporter. And he was so touched. He looked at me and said, hey, how are you? And, I mean, I was touched and by, by such, a, such a moment in time. But, uh, you know, and, and earlier in that same day, I heard him having a confrontation with a security guard. And he said, <laughs> my changing my credential. Uh, so it's, it's just wonderful. But all kidding aside, uh, Speed Sport, unbelievable magazine. If you're not already subscribing, get a digital uh, subscription, although you could kind of wait for that. And I'll show all of our uh, listeners here on the final inspection how they could save money on their subscription and how they could save money on their Speed Sport TV subscription. So we should have news for you on that maybe as early as next week. Well, you've done it now because you've taken us down a rabbit hole that is called Chris Economaki. <laughs> yeah, Chris was, uh, of course, uh, Chris had a voice. It was a, it was a I, I don't want to say piercing, but it was it was it, it, I'd never heard a voice that could carry and cut through. You could be in a a bar a ballroom, let's say, for like a racing dinner or something, and you could hear Chris on the other side of the room, crystal clear. He had this oh, voice yeah. that would just pierce through everything. It was amazing. Had a couple opportunities to spend a little bit of time with him. The funnest was in Union Jacks in uh, Indianapolis in the early 90s with local racer Dean Billings and I ran into oh. Chris Economaki at Union Jacks, who was probably on his fifth or sixth martini. And uh, <laughs> Dean and I were pretty well lubed up, too, and that was an entertaining night. And uh, just telling stories and and. and Nobody had better stories than Chris Economaki because his stories dated back all the way back to the mid-30s when he was a kid. And uh, he was a uh, – his first job in racing was uh, what he called it uh, uh, something uh, water – not like water boy, but he would get water for Bob Saul. Bob Saul was a, 
early sprint car racer in the 30s and 40s. And uh, his first job was to make sure that the water pail was full because they would, during the heat, after heat races and during races and during the, the, the racing and during the day, they had to make sure that it was full to add water to, to the radiator. So you had, you would get water for Bob. That was his, his first job in racing. <laughs> and it just amazing. And East Coast guy. So he had that little kind of East Coast attitude to him. You know, it's very self-assured, interesting guy. And and not only could tell you about the dirt tracks and, and, and the dirt, you know, in the, in the, from the 1930s on the East Coast, but traveled everywhere and even covered Formula One in the 50s, 60s, and throughout the 80s, and just just a neat guy. Just any time you spent with him, you, you know, it was was always a blessing. An encyclopedia of racing knowledge in that brain. He never forgot anything. And had an ability. I, I've only drove with him once. He never obeyed speed limits. And he was in <laughs> Milwaukee for the Harry Miller Club. And, you know, he's pushing 80 years old at this point. And he had, uh, I don't know if, it, I think it was his car. And it was a big boat of some type. And he would routinely drive down like 30, these 35 mile an hour, 40 mile at like 65 miles an hour. Just and talking the whole time and just barely paying attention to the road, but somehow never crashed. But there's a lot of stories about Chris Economaki and his driving uh, that, that, that's been uh, told throughout the world's history. So, um, the race, yeah, the race product we see today wouldn't be as big as it is without him. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just one of the, the pillars. And you, you talk about guys that should be in the NASCAR hall of fame. It's him. Oh yeah. So let's, let's just bring it, let's circle it back to, uh, now. And, uh, what, what was your opinion on the, on the duels on Thursday? The duels have lost any significance with all but four cars locked into the field. And in fact, all that racing on Thursday, all of that wrecking, you know, all the cars that went home wrecked, all it did was decide two starters in the race. And that's ridiculous. We, you know, you guys were talking about the clash earlier because, of course, I listen to the show even when I'm not on because that's how great this radio show is. And you guys were talking about how the clash had, you know, kind of been such a bad race. The duels, in my opinion, there was they weren't racing for anything. So there it was just a matter of, you know, and I couldn't believe that the, the front row cars stayed out on the, the track as long. What did they learn racing at night when they're going to race during the That's day true. on Sunday? Unbelievable risk and no reward there. But, uh, you know, those races to me – um, you know, I understand the charter system and I understand why it works the rest of the year, but there should not be guaranteed starting positions for the big races like the Daytona 500 and NASCAR and the Indy 500 in, in uh, IndyCar racing. Those should be open fields for anyone to come and play. And, um, you know, so the duels have become almost worthless. You know, the truck race was great. Arco is eh. And the, the clash was the clash. You know, it was the crash. It was the Bush crash. Um, and it was the only thing comical there was watching the car that went to victory lane look like it was a street stock from, right. you know, <laughs> Berlin Speedway. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do one more segment with Dennis. We're going to talk about the uh, what the NBC uh, Sports Network had, the 10 best moments in uh, Daytona 500 history. I want to chat with that with the Polish Pipe Bomb here and uh, Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. So we'll be back after this on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Strayway and David Hobbs Honda. Joining us once again on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Dennis Michelson. Dennis, Daytona 500 time. Ah, uh, yes. And yeah, I, I, Steve, you had my theme music back. Disturbed. Yes, yes. I like it. Well, I like when it. we hear disturbed, we think of you. So Even, even Raja the racing cat was perking up. She woke <laughs> up for that, so... She's, she's excited about that music, too. So uh, NBC Sports Network had uh, the top 10 Daytona 500 moments. And uh, let's, let's get on this because we always like to get sidetracked anyways. Number 10, <laughs> Austin Dillon's bump and run, which not yeah. a – Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a big moment in that. I think it's because – if well, let's put it this way. If you had the number 55 on it, would it be as big? No, no one would care. Okay. <laughs> Dennis, what do you think? I didn't care. When I when I saw that thing saying top 10 moment, I was like, that's not one that's going to be in, in my memory. Okay. Because I couldn't even remember how he won the race, to be honest with you. I, I realized that he had won, but um, I it wasn't, it wasn't a memory for me to remember. Okay. I remember that he dumb truck to win because, you know, right. heaven forbid he win it uh, legitimately. And then I remember the uh, the post-race interview. Oh, yeah, we're going to kick some tail this year. Yes. <laughs> you did absolutely squat. And then he gets a tattoo of the trophy on his ass. So that kid's just an I, absolute idiot. <laughs> I think Richard Childress sits up at night laying there in bed thinking, I wish Kyle Larson was my grandson. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, number nine, Darrell Waltrip in his first Daytona 500 win in the gorgeous, one of the best-looking uh, cup cars. That was uh, the Monte oh, yeah. Carlo SS. Uh, Good-looking car in that. Who's more famous? Darrell Waltrip doing that stupid Icky Woods dance or Icky Woods. Does anybody remember who Icky Woods is even? Of is? course, I do. Well, we do because we're in sports and that. But yeah. Anybody, oh, yeah. let's put it this way. Anybody under the age of 40 know who Icky Woods is? No. 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 But it was very timely because that was the year that it happened. So, <laughs> you know, that was that, that's why that was significant. But. Um, yeah, I love that one. Does anybody under the age of 40 know that the Bengals were actually in two Super Bowls? Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. I All remember, right. who was that, Crumry who got his legs snapped? Oh, yeah, yeah, U UW oh. guy, yeah. Uh, number oh. eight, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins his first Daytona 500. 
That That's was kind of big, yeah. Me. Yeah, that was a biggie, especially it was, what, three years after his dad died. So. And they were trying so um, hard to give it to him, you know, with uh, – oh, oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. You did. Um, <laughs> you know, I liked uh, it in the – in the interview after the win, and they said, oh, and you're leading the uh, the championship series points. And he goes, yeah, for the first time ever. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 cool that, you know, he was able to poke fun of himself during the, uh, you know, after he won the race. Number seven, Hamlin beats Truex Jr. by 0. 0.010 seconds. That one I remember. That yeah. was one hell of a finish. That was. You got to give him, yeah, that was. That was one where, yeah, after I saw this video that, that they put out, I, I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. And I remembered it. But if you were to have me sit with pen and paper and write down my 10 biggest Daytona 500 memories, that would not have made it. That was in but 2016. Time, yeah, but at the time, it was a hell of a finish. Yeah, I know. It was amazing. But it's not one that I think of uh, until I see it and then I go, Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the closest one ever. And Matt Kenseth, one of the best saves ever. Yeah, yeah, oh, it was. Gosh. Yeah. Number six, Dale Jarrett holds off Dale Earnhardt Sr. Very iconic NASCAR moment. That was really cool because his dad was making the call. Yeah. I just, there, there was something so emotional and wonderful to that. And I was always a big Joe Gibbs guy, so I, I was happy to see that as well. But, um, yeah, that was a very moving Moving memory. Who finished third? Oh, God, I don't recall that. I think it was Morgan Shepard. But... You're probably right on that. Number five, Lee Petty wins the inaugural Daytona 500. This one is interesting because, yeah, I guess it should be a top ten moment, but nobody really no, nobody remembers it because most of the people that were there are dead. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. – the media – I mean, media just wasn't what it is now. Most – NASCAR was barely a blip on the sports uh, newspaper, and it barely got any newspaper coverage north of the Mason-Dixon line. So, but I mean, it is and it, it is historical, it, but at the time, though, it, it wasn't very. It, it's very important race because Big yes. Bill France knew who won that race, yet he played it up for almost a full week, you know, to make sure he stayed in every newspaper around the country and making sure that this whole thing was, you know, uncertainty and uncertainty. If that ever happened nowadays where any sporting group contested, you know, like wasn't, wasn't sure of who won their event for a week, they'd be vilified in the press. This was able to keep it out there and let people who had no idea what NASCAR or stock car racing or Daytona were all about learn all about it so it was a brilliant brilliant PR move trivia question number two who was the lap car the third car in the photo oh do, 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 do. oh my goodness I should know this one Joe Weatherly ah oh, thank you thank you I number four Bobby Allison beats his son Davey 1988. Oh, Iconic moment, fabulous. not for the necessarily the on-track action, but because what it was. 
And I love that Miller High Life car. That was a beautiful car. You know, I, I watched that. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, God, that looks so awesome. A Buick Regal, too. I yeah. mean, that, I mean yeah. People make jokes about Buicks and that, and, and a lot of you know younger fans may not even remember that. Yes, Buick was actually kind of a big car in NASCAR for a while, and, and that was a good-looking car. Sure was. That was actually a pretty good race from start to finish. It might not have had the greatest finish of all time. Right. But that was a real competitive 500. And, of course, that, that victory lane celebration with the old man beating the sun. And at that point, Bobby Allison looked, was starting to look like an old man. So yeah. it was great to see. And the great celebration and the, the back and forth between the two of them, um, you know, father and son, but also rivals on the track was fantastic. Trivia and question. then, of course, course he had the, the another great moment that didn't make their list but would have made mine is when davy won his own a few years later yes which was ironically that was basically his last you know next to last 500 he was ever in yeah trivia question number three who finished third in the 88 daytona 500 i thought it was waltra i thought it was daryl waltra phil parsons waltra was parsons. yeah i think waltra okay. was fourth number three this is my the first Daytona 500 that I really remember. Number three, David Part David Pearson limps to the finish line. Epic battle between him and Richard Petty, 1976. And that was a race where I believe the finish of it was either live. Yes, or it was. Just, yeah, it and that was I remember that one. That was that was just a. Incredible, and I was a big Wood Brothers fan already, so I was very, very pleased. It was, um, yeah, because people uh, there's some con- some confusion thinking that the the '79 race was the first live Daytona. That's not necessarily true. Uh, Seventy flag the flag, right? They did the '76. They it was live, but they would break it up. Same thing, and I remember '78 too. The Bobby uh, Allison won in the Bud Moore Thunderbird. Uh, uh, that was also I broken 70, up. I, I believe 76, though, was the first year they showed the finish line. Yes, yes. Um, that was quite the finish. What a, what a finish to have, too. It was crazy. Number two, fists fly as Petty steals the win. <laughs> uh, this, come on. This is number, well, I, I guess, yeah, you could debate this one because I think we know which one's going to be number one, but. You know, we had David Hobbs uh, uh, at the NASCAR race when we were live up at Road America. We had Hobbs on, and we, we kind of more focused this time on his NASCAR TV coverage. And, yeah, yeah he, he, he says that, that uh, Donnie, Donnie Allison and Kelly Arbor should get, like, should have been, should have been given, like, a million dollars for just for all the publicity they earned for, for NASCAR in that race. And then uh, that, of course, is the, the, the iconic Daytona 500 race, which was the first, as you mentioned, flag to flag, and Hobbs and, uh, and Ken Squire on there, in which I, <laughs> Hobbs still can't believe it that Dale Earnhardt Jr. has watched that thing like seven or eight times in completion. He just thinks that's the, the funniest thing. The, the cool thing about that is both Dale, or both Cale Yarbrough and Donnie Allison who ended up having the famous spin, you know, racing for the lead that led to the, the historic fight. Both of them spun out earlier in the race 
and actually got got sort of muddled in the mud because it, that That's race almost right. didn't happen because That's it was right. raining. They didn't start the race under caution um, on a on a uh, they were running it under yellow at the very beginning to try the track. Why well, sent Daryl Walter out to run some hot laps to to say whether the the race track was suitable to race or and, not. And they had a tight time window from CBS, so they had to start. But they both got a lap down and had to rally um, to get back on the lead lap and then battle their way to the to the win. That was a that was an incredible race on so many levels. It was. Trivia question number four, give me the top three from that race. Well, A.J. Foyt was in the running, and so was Daryl Waltrip. But I forget whether it was Foyt second and Waltrip third or the other way around. Other way I think around. Yeah. Was second. Yeah, Petty Waltrip and, and Foyt, Foyt was third. That's yeah. a that's a pretty good one, two, three there. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh number one, of course, Earnhardt Senior finally wins the Daytona five hundred and ninety eight. Twenty two years ago to the day today. Even I was happy that Earnhardt Senior won. That was a thrilling thrilling race too that was another one where the finish yeah it happened under yellow they they battled you know this is race back to the yellow days um but it it so the race ended under caution but the race itself was very exciting there was a lot of drama in that race leading up to the finish and and of course dale winning is um and his celebration uh, still gets me kind of choked up thinking about all the teams coming out and Mike Joy's great call of that, uh, so emotional, um, was was fantastic. So yeah, that was a that was a that was one for the memory banks. But I I put the seventy nine ahead of it, and I was even a big Earnhardt fan. Yeah, and it, well, uh, ESPN had I think or I think it was that Dale Earnhardt special they had. Uh, and they show some uh, off-air stuff uh, from ESPN after the win, where they were doing. He was doing Sports Center and some other stuff, and and you see actually how cool Earnhardt was. You know, I tell the oh, yeah. story how I, I I first met Earnhardt when he was running the Slinger Nationals up here, and he was doing <laughs> a a radio spot uh, on the old Racing Roundup show, and and uh, you know I met him at the at, at the Elks Club and that, and I was thinking. Because I was still pissed at him for taking out uh, Kawiki at Pocono earlier in the year. And the guy was so cool. A real nice guy. And I'm like, damn it, I wish he would have been a jerk to me. But no, he was a good guy. The only, I would probably have taken out the Austin Dillon's bump and run and put in the Derek Cope uh, 1990 win because he had Earnhardt going, which should have been his first win. And then he has that tire on the last lap, turn three. Derek Cope, who ran... Who actually yep. had a strong? It was an upset win, but he ran very strong throughout that that year. At he had a very good speed week in the. Um, oh, I used to know it's not Lou Whitaker, but it was uh, uh, the team. I forget now. I'll think of it in a second. Uh, that Purelater number ten car, that orange Purelater car. Yep. But he he ran yep. well. He ran well in the twins races and and had a it ran strong throughout that race and just everything kind of came together for him i just still couldn't believe it that he had won that race Derek yeah, the, yep the other one that they missed was the 1980 
Daytona 500. Buddy Baker, after trying and leading so many Daytona 500s, only to, to that's blow a good up, one too. Finally, sure, finally got a car to the finish and uh, and won his. It had been like 17, 18 years for him as well. And at that time was, I believe, the fastest 500-mile uh, race. You're correct. Yeah. For me, it was the one that Harvick won where the guys are wrecking on the backstretch. I think Harvick was like in ninth or 10th at the time. Ends up driving uh, all the way up to the win. But what was remarkable for me was that uh, Mark Martin had the lead at the time when everybody's wrecking behind him. And I thought for sure that they were going to sit there and throw the uh, the caution flag, so Mark Martin could uh, could you know grab the victory in uh, in the 500, and they didn't. Uh, Harvick wins, and Martin complained uh, mightily after. I like it, yeah. So that was just one hell of a comeback because I'm you know I was sitting there. I've been a big Harvick fan forever, and. Uh, I'm like, oh yeah, there's no shot. He's all the way back in seventh, and then all of a sudden. He's up to third. There's still no caution, you know. And uh, by the time they get around to the checkered flag, I was just screaming and jumping up and down like an idiot. I'm a big Mark Martin fan from back in the day. He didn't deserve that win. Sorry. That was Harvick. Hey. Well, he took a lot of abuse on this on this station for me on that because I told, I, I've always said if I'm Mark Martin – I'm driving Harvick into the grandstands. There's no way he's getting oh, past yeah. me. Well, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. He, I mean, he raced them clean, and that's why he's never won a Daytona 500. I always said there's 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 there's, there's instances for driving. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not against the bump and run. I'm not against, but there's certain times. Uh, you know, I always mentioned Ted Ted Musgrave and Dale Dale Jarrett at, at Darlington is another one that Musgrave really screwed up, and and uh, Mark Martin, unfortunately. On that one, he should have rubbed up on uh, Harvick. But, you know, like I said, it's frustrating. I would not have allowed Harvick to pass me if I'm Mark Martin. Nope. Mark Martin's biography should be titled, Nice Guys Finish Second. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. But that's a, that's a, that's the way these guys in Wisconsin were, were taught to race, you know, and – We've had this conversation before on this this uh, on this show, you know, whether you like it or not, you know. In certain cases, though, you gotta you gotta rub them a little bit, right? Absolutely. All right, Dennis, thank you so much. Uh, do me a favor, text me your 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 picks for the Xfinity Series and the uh, Cup Series, and we'll we'll follow it up with Eddie in the final segment on the show next hour. Appreciate you coming on the show. We're a little bit behind the time, so we will chat with you next week, sir. Always my pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. We'll be back after this on the Final Inspection Show. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. 
Hey, welcome to the final inspection show. Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski. Halfway done. Flying by so far, it Steve. Does. And uh, we'll be talking here because we got a short segment. And then we got three questions with Larry coming up after this segment. And then we have Eddie Lapine. We'll be talking about a lot of news, believe it or not, in the world of uh, IndyCar racing. So we'll be talking about that at the end of the hour. And then we'll also get our picks for, for Daytona. Um, who's giving the command to start engines tomorrow, Jeff? The, uh, pres- the president? Yeah, yeah, good old Donald Trump. And he's supposed to take a lap in the uh, presidential limo. Yes, the I, beast. I don't think he's driving, even though that would be pretty damn cool. And if I was him, I'd say, I'm driving. <laughs> but uh, that is, uh, I guess, uh, I don't think he can. Um, in fact, I think I read something on this. I think it might have been a Jay Leno thing, one of his videos he did about maybe on the on the, the limo. Okay. The what do you call it? Super limo, whatever. What's the word I'm looking for? The yeah. Uh, that they can't drive when you're president. You can't drive. It's okay. For security reasons and whatnot. Well, so, you know. And then when uh, when they, Joe Biden has a Corvette and he just had it restored and they did a thing on the Jay Leno show and they had Biden show up and he was driving. He says that was the first time he's driven a car in, you know, whether many, many years because when he was vice president, he was, wasn't allowed to drive either. That would kill me, man. I love driving. I love, yeah. So do I, I mean, I, I, I'm going down to a Daytona 500 party at a, at a buddy's house in Chicago and part of the thing I like is just driving. I love driving alone. Uh, or if I'm going down to Indianapolis or going up north somewhere or going to a track, whatever. I like driving alone. I turn on the podcast. I get caught up on my podcast. And it's just relaxing. It's just, yep. Because if you think of it, you're always with somebody. Not not as a bad thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I enjoyed my married life. But, I mean, you know, but you're always, you're home with somebody or you're at work or, you know. And sometimes it's just nice to just kind of, just drive and just have some, because I'm not one of these guys who can go to a beach and just sit and read a book. Okay. I got to be doing something. I got to be, you know, something going on. I just, so that way it, it's kind of clears, you know, it's a good way to clear your head, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, I would still figure out a way, you know, to get a ride in a two seater with, you know, Larson or, you know, he, did. he, he, he's been in a two seater with, uh, Andretti in New York. When he was doing the Apprentice show, yeah, but I do one in NASCAR too. Oh, that'd be interesting. So, but I don't think they would allow that though. Can you imagine that the president of a two seater, eight hundred horsepower car, wham, wham, wham? It'd be who, awesome. Who would you have drive? Personally, me, it'd be Harvick. But uh, you know, I'd want somebody. You know, like uh, Andretti was a great choice. You know, because Andretti, right. You know, will Mario. still push yeah. it, right? And you know, he spun out one of those two seaters, yeah. you know, a, a year or two ago because he was sitting there and pushing it. He was trying to, he was trying to break Eliel's time. Yeah, so you know, that's I want somebody who's going to sit there and not not baby uh, baby it around the track. I want somebody who's going to get up and go. Uh, I think it's cool though. I mean, regardless of what your politics are, you know, I always said, you know, it's it's love the 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 office i just like this thing with teams going there you know whether you're i mean okay 
who's who's more opposite than Obama and Trump? But you saw Tony Stewart go there when Obama was president, and now you've seen people start to go there when well, Trump is. I mean, I, I don't care. I don't care which one was it's president. It's an honor no matter exactly. what. And no matter who's in the office, it, it's a definite honor. Uh, I think it's very I think it's awesome for NASCAR that uh, that Trump is going to be there tomorrow. Um, you know, maybe puts more eyeballs on the on the sport or whatever, but it gets, you know, everybody's going to be talking about it uh, yeah. on Monday. Oh, did you see, you know, the president at the Daytona 500 and all that and you know, it's just it it's it's going to help. It's going to help the sport and uh you know, obviously Trump hope it, hopes it if, uh, helps uh, down in Florida when come election time. But, um, you know, I think it's great. What's interesting is the current vice president, Mike Spence, Mike Pence, uh, did Indianapolis radio for a while. And so there's a lot of people that are covering, uh, that work in the media, especially those who have been around for a while, know Mike Pence, when he worked, I think he worked for uh, 1070 AM, WIBC, if I recall. I think that's the station he worked for. So there's a, I was chatting with uh, Donald Davison, the historian of the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and, he, and he's, he's done a lot of things with, with Mike Pence, radio shows and spots and whatnot. And he's like, yeah, it's just weird that this guy I used to be on the radio with and done some spots with, he's now vice president of the United States. You know, the United States. You know, well, so. wouldn't that be cool if, you know, Trump's at Daytona and then Pence is at the Indy 500? Yeah, yeah, he's been at the 500, and I was there when when he's been there and, you know, all the security and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's just neat, though, uh, when you have somebody like that at an event. It makes it gives it a little panache. Yeah, it does. Regardless of, like I said, what, what where, where your politics are. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk with Larry, Larry Janicek, our friend, uh, and we're going to uh, get three questions from Larry. We had him on last week, and uh, he hasn't pissed me off yet. So we'll have, again. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll have him on again. We'll see what happens. So looking forward to that coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Back to the final inspection show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Girl. Make sure to check out GreatLakesDragway.com and Great Lakes Dragway on their Facebook page for your 2020 season passes. All this good stuff and lots of events already scheduled for the 2020 season. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Larry Janicek from nearby Pewaukee. Welcome to the show, sir. Yes, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, so... Yes. Can I ask you two quick questions? Well, uh, you, so is this a total of five questions today then? Or? No, 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 this is two I would like to ask you. <laughs> okay. In follow-up to, follow to the discussion you had with Dennis about the 10. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. With the Derek Cope win, is that when Earnhardt ran into the bird going, on ter- going into turn three? Yes, but that was earlier in the race. That was, oh, okay. Yeah, that was not... Uh, that did. I don't believe that had anything to do with them losing okay. the tire. And then uh, the Bobby Allison one where he beat Davey, is that the time that the rear bumper fell off of the Allison's Buick? And there was no. That was in 
1982 oh, okay. or three, he had, was running a different car and it got wrecked in practice. And what was interesting is it was, uh, I think it was a Chevy Monte Carlo, but it wasn't the, the, oh, the oh. that, you know, the, the Monte Carlo everybody thinks of. It was the older Monte Carlo before they went to that SS and then later the mm-hmm. Aero Coupe. And his backup car was a Pontiac Le Mans, and it was the only one entered. And there's some speculation that they wanted that to happen. And <laughs> in back in the old days, NASCAR would give you a sheet of cars, what cars were eligible. And all the way in the bottom was was Pontiac Le Mans. Everybody's like, well, pff, who's going to run a Pontiac Le Mans? And this would have been about 82 if you want to Google it. It was, uh, I think it was used more in Grand National Racing. But the reason why they liked it, uh, and I think it was Gary Nelson that was chief mechanic back then, it had a, a sloping rear window, and they thought aerodynamically that was a, a superior car. And uh, then, But uh, it still it, had that chrome bumper, and I believe that's the one that where the bumper literally just fell off when somebody just tapped <laughs> it. And it was to, to have the air kind of kick up then from that bumper and it gave him a little more downforce on the rear of the car. I made it uh, a real nice handling car. So yeah, that's a good memory, Larry. Thank you. Okay. My first question is uh, racing this uh, past week has been dominated by uh, Daytona speed weeks and everything, but uh, there was uh, IndyCar practice in uh, Austin at Coda circuit of the americas and i wondered what uh your thought was as some of the uh, biggest surprises that came out of that i think it was only one day because one day got rained out well i think it's uh, scott scott mclaughlin who is i think third quick that was a big one a lot of those scores were a little or a lot of times were a little suspect because of the weather and and that that was there was really cold the weather was not the best and even even early on uh aj Foyt racing and bourdais was was quick and uh, so I I don't think you can really take too much from that. Uh, it was kind of the usual suspects were up up in front, but very impressed with Scott Scott McLaughlin, who's who who so quickly has adapted to the Indy cars. And if everything goes well in his race at the Indy Grand Prix at Indianapolis in early May, I think you might see him full time next year in a Penske Indy car. Wow. That's very interesting. You heard it here first. He's uh, come out of, uh, I don't want to say nowhere, because he's been very good in in Australia and the supercars down there. Well, and we had David Land on last week, and he's saying this. You know, Penske just doesn't do things on a whim. Mm -hmm. He sees something there, and there's something that kind of caught his eye. If if anybody should be able to be – be a good uh, judge of talent. It, it certainly is Roger Penske. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this uh, develops. But I think, I think, uh, barring you know any undue circumstances, he's going to be full time next year. Okay. Speaking of Roger Penske, also during this week, he had a press conference in Indianapolis and announced a number of uh, big improvements, both to the uh, speedway and to uh racing in general there the purse went uh really got increased and i wondered if there was uh, one additional change that you might 
suggest to them that hadn't been made yet? Um, other than <laughs> we got one, uh, Dave, and we'll be talking about this more in the next segment with Eddie Lapine. But we'll be uh, Dave Scoggin, who's uh, this is the second week in a row I've mentioned him. Uh, one of my buddies down in Indianapolis. Uh, we always go back and forth about the uh, uh, the media parking uh, behind that's used to be behind the pagoda. Uh, our parking and then they kept moving us further and further and now they got us on the outside on the other side of georgetown on the outside of the track uh, across from the pagoda straight across and which isn't bad but if it rains out there's it's it gets pretty ruddy and whatnot (laughs) and and you get next thing you know you got mud in your car and whatnot and then the ruts on the actual where you drive the rows or whatever the roadway is just it's epic, epic. So, is that where that trailer park was? No, that's further down. This is about halfway oh, uh-huh. down Georgetown. So, yeah, okay. uh, selfishly, that that's the one place I would say. Yeah, you need they need to either regrade it or do something there. That's only. Well, maybe thing. he'll have maybe he'll have some of that carpeting left over that he had air freighted. <sighs> this is a good story. So, there uh, last night or Friday night they did the one hundred. They do a party in Indianapolis, one hundred days. Uh, it's they call it the 100 days because on Friday it was 100 days to the Indianapolis 500, and they've been doing this for a couple couple years now, and it's kind of a, it's not a, you got to know somebody, but you can get tickets if you know somebody and you're not, you know, you can get in there, and they do it uh, at, a, at a place downtown. Apparently, uh, somehow Roger Penske saw the ballroom where they were having it and said. Uh, uh, let's change the carpet. So he, he talked to a business there and he said, oh yeah, we can get carpet in there, uh, in a couple weeks for you. And it's like, uh, no, I want it done on Friday. It's like, oh, okay, Mr. Penske, we'll get right on that for you. We'll move you right to the front of the, the top of the list here and get that taken care of. So apparently the ballroom where they had this party on Friday, uh, had new, new, uh, new carpeting in it. So interesting stuff. When, when Roger talks, people listen, right, Larry? He has the power. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, also this week, and I don't know if it came out in a press release or I just happened to see it online somewhere, but NASCAR that's talking about possibly having a street race somewhere, you know, next year. The yeah. schedules are, are, can change a lot, the contracts. Personally, the I, tracks are, yep. I'm wondering – my question to you is, where do you think would be a good place for NASCAR to have a street race? Well, we were joking about it earlier in the week, Knoxville, Iowa, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, for real. There is no place, a good place for a street race in NASCAR. NASCAR needs to run. And I think what you're seeing, I, I think these are just some trial balloons that they're, sh- that they're, they're dropping because uh, – it is not uh, – here's another one that just came up uh, that David uh, Land reported earlier uh, uh, yesterday, I think it was. Adam Stern uh, reported that NASCAR is considering implementing new attendance standards for tracks in 2021 that they reach at least 70% capacity for a Cup Series race or face some sort of penalty. What the hell is that? That could be almost every track on the schedule, with the exception of Daytona. So it's weird that these the, you're, you're hearing these 
these ideas kind of popping up. And I really sincerely think there's a, a VP in Daytona or something that that's dropping these, that's throwing up these trial balloons for some reason. Mm. The street race is totally out of left field. This thing is ridiculous. I mean, the last thing you want to be doing is stressing out these tracks anymore with penalties if they don't hit a certain attendance thing. Well, and imagine if NASCAR is penalizing Bristol Motor Speedway because they don't hit the 70%. Right. You know, that place was sold out for decades on end. Yeah. Then the series takes a dive, and now because your series took a dive, you're going to punish us? Right. Come on. Yeah. This is – so I think it's it's just – Somebody in a in a position in Daytona that that's dropping these these trial balloons, Larry, because these are just really bizarre. I don't know who's doing it, but they 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 really need to stop because these things are just not not good ideas at all. Well, I I know the uh, yesterday the day before there was a press re- release sent out that the Daytona was sold out for the Cup race on right. Sunday. And yet, if you look on the back straightaway, that uh, what they used to call at the super slab, there was a tremendously big uh, set of grandstands back there that are gone. There's nothing back there anymore. So, you know, to say that sold out, yeah, but it doesn't have anywhere near the number of seats that it had before. No, but I've I've been critical of of the, you know some of the things they've done in NASCAR and at Daytona, but that is what what they've done there is, is basically. Um, they're trying to make it more an event in, in, yeah, taking those, those, I mean, tracks do that mill Milwaukee mile had, uh, had bleachers in turn two for a while too. And they took those out in the, in the early seventies. So, uh, yeah, taking those, those, the, 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 the those, uh, bleachers or grandstands and on the back straightaway, I don't think that's an issue. They wanted to kind of push everybody into one area on the main grandstand and have, they, they they've gone to this ballpark style seating where everything's like a like a baseball stadium and the biggest thing is where you can really notice that and i mentioned this last week was at phoenix where everything mm. is on what is now the front straightaway which used to be like turn two and so it's just it's 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 where racetracks are moving in in the future and i i think uh i and i think you see this in IndyCar racing too. They they announced the Indy 500 has been a sold out the last last uh, couple of years, and you you kind of want that if you're a sanctioning body. You want your top prize, your your number one event, to be sold out. It just sounds good. Oh, yes, and yes. and that's what they're doing with Daytona too. Well, Larry, we Great. certainly appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, look forward to chatting with you next week. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about after the big race tomorrow. Sounds like it, T-Man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk with Eddie Lapine coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotke along with Jeff Orlowski in studio. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Hey, guys. How are you today? Fantastic. Racing season is really starting to heat up. Of course, the Daytona 500 
and uh, we'll be talking, uh, getting our picks here in the next segment. But before we get to that, a lot of uh, surprising uh, news in the world of IndyCar racing and the Indy 500. You know, Roger Penske, of course, taking over the IndyCar series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he has certainly hit the ground running, hasn't he, Eddie? Oh, it's unbelievable. It seems like every day there's a new announcement. Uh, and don't forget, you know, he's also running a Daytona 500 teams. He's getting ready with IndyCar testing. And, I mean, the guy just, I mean, I thought you're supposed to slow up when you hit after 80. <laughs> but uh, It's amazing, huh? He never lifts after 80. No. Um, yeah, it's amazing the stuff that they're going to do at the track. Um, the, the, the purse is going to be a record purse for starters, which makes everybody happy that's racing there. And, uh, just, I mean, with the sponsors, I think it's just going to snowball into more corporate sponsors wanting to be a part of Roger Penske's dream of owning the Indy 500 yeah, in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah. So, basically. uh. Yeah, he, he announced uh, that uh, six new major sponsors in 2020, which includes uh, Penzo, Verizon, Verizon, Snap-on Tools, uh, Dex Imaging, and Road and & Track Magazine, along with Global Medical Response, are making significant investments uh, into the, the racing series and the Speedway. And uh, also, uh, you, you, you mentioned the purse. Uh, let's see here. The purse is growing to... Uh, is it going to grow by more than $2 million to more than $15 million? And let's be honest, the purse has been kind of pretty much stagnant uh, over the last 10 years. And, you know, we've had Robin Miller on the show uh, in, in the past, and, and others have mentioned that that's one of the things where it, it's been kind of stagnant across uh, racing in general, uh, the purses and that. And this is kind of a good way to kick, uh, kick in some uh, – uh, money into the into the you know the biggest race in the world and not only that maybe draw in some other teams and drivers who want to go after that purse so i think on multiple levels that's a good thing and not only that but also changes to the indianapolis qualifying too eddie isn't it oh yeah i mean i mean there's so many things coming up for this year and uh just like you said it's going to bring more sponsors as it rolls bigger and bigger and the driver lineup too, as, as we've noticed Alonzo still struggling to get a ride to race this year. And I, I think that uh, it, it's going to be an un- unbelievable race. And this weekend we're getting geared up for the 500 in, in Florida here the Daytona 500. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting with the, with the Penske announcement, not only, is he taking care of things, you know, on the track and in the paddock, but he's also taking care of the infrastructure improvements at the speedway itself. Uh, some of the announcements, what, in, uh, what was also included in the announcement that pedestrian traffic on Georgetown road will be widened by two lanes to make uh, ingress and egress easier for uh, more than half of the venues, race day customers, more than 125 restrooms are being renovated inside IMS New pavement will be added to the partial B lot near the IMS main gate to improve the parking experience and create a cleaner look at the front door of the facility. And approximately three miles of fencing will be added to the entire grounds. 
Um, and the winning driver and team of the Indianapolis 500 Grand Prix and Brookyard 400 will receive the highest honors as the winner's car will be elevated to the same level as the victim, uh, as the victory podium after each race. That will give fans a better vantage point for photos and social media sharing of the most pres- prestigious victory lane in Lobo Motorsports. So, you know, it was funny when they, they, they made the announcement that Penske is buying the Speedway. The next day, supposedly, or reports are, that he was on a golf cart uh, along with uh, Doug Bowles, president of IMS, and they basically did a hands-on inspection of the whole grounds. And I can just picture, uh, you know, Penske going to the, the that main gate going, yeah, we should clean this up. Why don't we pave this? I, I can truly, can't you see him doing him doing that, Eddie? Uh, just saying, yeah, why don't we do this, this, or that, you know? I, I've seen them when they were running the Porsche Spiders. They're at 6 o'clock in the morning with the mechanics and lining up the scales to, to weigh the car, to balance the car for the race. I mean, Rod, Mr. Penske, Roger Penske is so hands-on. I mean, you talk to anybody that works for him or anybody that is a part of the corporation, down to the rental trucks. He is very hands-on with the dealerships and mm-hmm. everything. He, I, I picture him driving around at a uh, dealership and pointing out things that need to be done if he's in town. So, yeah. and I can, I, I'm sure that was the truth the next <laughs> day. Yeah, they're also going to be adding, uh, I think, 100, 100 plus uh, monitors, large monitors uh, for the fans and the grandstands, as well as a large. Uh, uh, super size monitor at the bottom of the podium uh, for people to see on in, in the pit lane. Um, and also uh, night signage, uh, night light signage will be installed over gates one and two uh, of, at IMS and just, just continuously upgrading the facility, which is probably one of the best already in the world, but uh, a lot of, a lot of changes well, at I mean, IMS, IMS. And, you know, I mean, if you've never been to Indy, it is probably one of the most fan-friendly and probably one of the easiest places to go to when you think there's 300,000 people there the race day. And for him to jump in there and widen roads and make it even more fan-friendly and to help the vendors and the, the people that, are, you know, that have restaurants and stuff right across there, it's an awesome place to go for a race, and you don't have to worry about traffic. Hey, let's go switch gears. I want to talk uh, Formula One. Uh, this is the what they call the launch season, and uh, for those who might not be familiar, a lot of the teams will launch the new cars for the year. They do these big dog and pony shows, light shows, you know, the whole thing, the cover on the car, and they take the cover off this and that. This is the new car. And there's been some criticism of some of the ones already this year that uh, the cars don't look really that much different. However, uh, the Toro Rosso team, the the Toro Rosso team is uh, going to have a new livery and a new name this year. Did you see this, Eddie? With the with, with the new team, the the Alpha Alpha Tori uh, livery for the Toro Rosso team. Well, they're being yeah. I mean, it is a big step for them to switch everything over from the Red Bull livery 
So, I mean, and, and all the teams, I mean, this is their, this is the prime season where their sponsors are getting paid. I mean, the money that they're getting from their sponsors are able to showcase their cars Mm -hmm. and have these big, uh, they're amazing. When you think about it, I think what they use for these launch days, I think is more than uh, some of the NASCAR teams use for a whole season of uh, testing and stuff. I mean, it's amazing the money that they spent over there in F1 world. And uh, some sad news. This is a, one of my favorite teams in the old WEC days is that, that the Rebellion team is going to be closing its doors after Le Mans. What was your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really – I mean, it's sad for world racing to see – a team fall to the wayside and it's a lot of it has to do with politics and money and, and it's really unfair. I mean, it's a team that came over here, a small team, a guy that owns rebellion watches in Switzerland. And he took that team and he won uh, Petit Le Mans twice with drivers that are racing in formula E and, you know, Neil Johnny was one mm-hmm. of them. Andre Lauder's driven for him. A lot of good drivers have driven for him over the years. And it's sad to see a small team like that uh, not going to compete after Le Mans. I, I, nowadays, we just can't afford in sports car racing to lose a team like that. They've gained a lot of uh, fans here in the States. By far, they were very popular. They always had a very uh, cool livery, so to speak. Very I mean, cool, they, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite. Yeah. Right. I mean, and there's lots of things, and it. it, it's sad to see teams like that. Uh, you know, and it's it goes to say the privateers are just getting whisked away. I mean, the money costs too much to raise, and they feel like it's it's not helping their cause for their products or their sponsors to stay in it because they have to keep going to ask for more money. And hopefully uh, the association between Jim France and WEC, and they can put this together and work together for future racing worldwide. Yeah. We'll have to monitor that as we move forward. And then uh, back to IndyCar, uh, Felipe Nasser and Sergio Cietti Cameron are rumored to be the next two drivers in the number two seat uh, for Carlin Racing. Of course, Felipe Nasser has been around a Formula One and WEC and that. Can you give us uh, some background on him? Well, I mean, he's a, he's a great driver. I mean, he's won a lot of stuff in IMSA, driving for Wheeling and Action Express, and he, and he was raced in Formula One with Williams and uh, he's it's great to see him get that opportunity. I think if IndyCar racing, if you're not a fan, I think this year is just going to be a breakout year. I mean, we got a lot of new fresh young guys and we got a mixture of some older guys. You see what's happening with AJ Foyt, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, one of our, uh, mm-hmm guys that we've had on the show uh, tested for AJ and they had a new engineering and he was fast. He was fastest at the test. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully that's going to rejuvenate Foyt. I think 
getting input from a champion like Sebastian Bourdais, not taking anything away from Tony Kanan, but I think Sebastian uh, and with the engineering uh, that they're bringing in the Foyt could definitely spark something. And you have these young drivers that Zach Brown from McLaren's bringing in, and they're going to be hungry. And and don't forget Colton Herta, where you know where he left off last year. Uh, I spoke with him at uh, Daytona when he was driving the BMW there a few weeks ago, and uh, he's just really pumped up. And I think uh, it's going to be a very competitive. And and don't forget Scott Dixon also. So the the list is endless. We're getting a lot of people in IndyCar racing, and it's going to be a great season. Looking forward to it. Let's take a quick break. We're talking to Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to Daytona 500 picks coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Final Inspection Show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove and David Hobbs Honda. Joining us once again on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Good stuff from uh, 24 Hours of Daytona from you and Jack Webster, wasn't there? Yeah, it was It was a you know record-breaking weekend. Uh, I think the car count was a little soft this year. We didn't have as many cars, but, I mean, the racing was good. I mean, it was... Seven hours of uh, green flag racing. Amazing. Yeah, I was talking to a buddy of mine earlier today, and, and uh, he's got a guy that used to be on the uh, Patron uh, IMSA team, and he's moved over to one of the, the Porsche uh, uh, GTLM cars. And he was saying, you know, for the whole for the whole race, he couldn't get any rest because they were, the, the competition and that was so close. The cars were, were so tightly together. You couldn't you couldn't really rest because pit stops and everything every everybody was on edge for the entire race so uh, good racing and of course good coverage too from you guys at racingnation.com and fantastic photos once again from uh, Jack Webster and don't forget to give a shout out to Joe Jennings Joe uh, yes who, Joe uh, yes uh, he's he's at Daytona this week and I don't know how he does it I, I honestly hardest working guy. Is, Hard, one of the hardest working guys in the press room, and and just underrated. But he, I have to, I kudos to him. I mean, he's out there this week, and I couldn't even do it. I I had to rest at the pool. It's only eighty <laughs> degrees here, so uh, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> All right, let's go to our picks. Uh, we had the Xfinity series, which is about to start. Uh, in fact, uh, has just started. And, uh, Eddie, who do you like in that? I think I like Michael in that. I mean, okay. he needs to win. So, I think. Michael Annette in the number one car. I'm going to go with, uh, and Dennis Michelson team, uh, we're going to go with Austin Sindrick in the Penske Xfinity car, the 22 car. And, uh, Jeff, who do you like? Uh, I looked into uh, the Polish crystal ball today, and I saw Chase Briscoe. Okay. Uh, taking the checkered flag. 
I like that. Uh, Chase Briscoe, I think, one of the young guns and has uh, shown a lot of improvement. And probably one of the next guys. Uh, kind of keep your eye out for Chase Briscoe. Very talented Indiana driver from the Bull Rings, uh, Sprint Cars of Indiana. Moving over to tomorrow's big race, the Great American Race, the Daytona 500. Eddie, who do you like? I like Kevin Harvick. I, I just like it's been real quiet with him and stuff like that, and you know how he gets during the race. Yep. Better during the race. All right, I like that pick. Uh, Jeff, who do you like? Well, I was impressed by the Chevys uh, during, you know, parts of the duels and everything like that. So uh, I'm going to take a Chevy driver. I am going to take your Chevy driver. I am going to go with Mr. Kyle Larson. That would make me very, very happy. I'm going to go. I like this guy. I just got a feeling uh, he's been he's been fast. He's been he's been a driver on the come, especially the last third of uh, last season. Will Byron. Yeah, that's a good pick, car. man. He looks so strong, and he raced very, very smart. Um, that is a good pick. And uh, Dennis is going to go with uh, Clint Boyer. His, his, Chief, his Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and uh, he thinks he's going to win uh, the Super Bowl of racing. Uh, the Daytona 500, Clint Boyer, the Kansas native. Well, you I know, for everybody's Clint, got good choices. For Clint's sake, I hope, because, you know, you want to talk about somebody who's entering the 2020 season with the whole world of pressure on him. You know, you've got Clint Boyer and you've got Eric Amarola, both out of Stuart Haas. Both need to have very, very big years this year. Uh, they need a win. They need to make the playoffs at minimum to keep their rides for next season, I believe. And so if Clint can start it out uh, week one with a win, you know, especially the 500, that uh, that'll go a long, long way to uh, securing his future at Stewart House Racing. I agree. I concur, as they say. Any final thoughts, Eddie? I think we're in in uh, store this year for one of the best racing seasons we've seen in in every category. I think it's going to be an amazing year. We got Sebring coming up too. Don't forget about that. And uh, it's going to be a great year. All right, very good, well, Eddie. We certainly appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We, we look forward to chatting with you these uh, coming weeks coming up. Well, I got to get back to the pool. My margaritas uh, melting. Hey, good talking to you guys. All right. You too, Eddie. Take care, buddy. Ed, Eddie Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it, de- it deserves. Visit GreatMidwestBank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. If you're on Facebook, make sure you like the TFI, the final inspection page, and also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Steve Zotke, Z-A-U-T-K-E, Jeff. Uh, Jeff underscore Orlowski, O-R-L-O, no W-S-K-I. All right. Thank you for uh, listening to the final inspection show. And uh, uh, good good show today. Lots of fun. Daytona 500, though, kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it, Jeff? It sure does. And let's hope it's uh, it's a lot more like Duel 1 than it is uh, than it was Duel 2. Well, seeing, uh, seeing that late run by the, the Chevys in the, in the Duel number 2, uh, let's, let's hope so. It, Hope it's an entertaining race.
Yep, I hope so. We'll chat with you, with you next week on the Final Inspection Show. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 